Again, it is an honor and joy to be here with you this morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Katie. And what you really need to know about me, a little self-disclosure here, is that I am what I would call a hopeless dreamer. You know how some people are hopeless romantics? You've heard that term before, right? It's a thing. The kind of people that are forever, ever, ever in the pursuit of love, they never give up on it, even at crazy cost and selfless sacrifice. I wouldn't say I'm that per se, but I am most certainly what you would call a hopeless dreamer. You see, I'm the kind of people that never gives up on dreaming up a new normal. In fact, my close friends and family members would say that ever since I was just an itty-bitty baby, they've been using this phrase on me, stubborn as a mule. (laughs) I like to think that I inherited that from my daddy with his Irish blood, evidenced by my great Irish chin. My husband says I don't have one, but I'm convinced I do. Um, But actually, I think this stubborn gene in me is genetic, that I inherited it, not just from my daddy's Irish blood, but from my spiritual DNA, the DNA of my daddy in heaven, who sent his son to Jesus to make all things new, both here and now and in the future still yet to come. And so I am a hopeless dreamer whose head and heart and knees will always be positioned toward the pursuit of all things being made new. And here's why you need to know this self-disclosure this morning. This chief motive, this compelling desire, this dream that causes me to go great lengths and incur crazy cost and sacrifice, it is not unique to me. It belongs to all of us. It belongs to every member of the body of Christ, of the global church. It belongs to the stewards of the Great Commission, to the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, the waymaker himself who cleared a path and made a way for all people in all times and all places to know him, to have relationship with him, and to experience freedom and liberation. It is in our spiritual DNA collectively to be hopeless dreamers with unyielding and unwavering commitment to follow in the footsteps of our Jesus who is making all things new. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, draw us close to your heart this morning and through the power of your word, transform us more into your likeness. Speak to our hearts May we be sensitive to your Holy Spirit this morning to hear you and be transformed by you. In your name we pray, amen. I'm going to be sharing from the book of Genesis this morning. I'm going to start off in Genesis chapter 16. You can go ahead and follow along in your pew Bibles, or you can just listen to me because I am going to read it. Starting at verse 1 in Genesis chapter 16, it says, Now Sarai... Abram's wife had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar 
and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. We'll pause right there for a second. So y'all know where we're at. You know what the context of this is. I know that you're familiar with the story of Sarah and Abraham and their infertility struggle many times before. Abraham is considered the patriarch of both the Jewish and the Christian faith. And so his story is a pillar of so many of our understandings about genealogy, about lineage and faith and what it means to follow God. And so the text that we're reading from today that we'll be looking at together, Genesis 16, isn't likely new information for you or a novel story But what might be different for you this morning is that I want to challenge you to hear the scripture, to hear Genesis chapter 16, not through the lens of Abraham or of Sarah, but instead through the lens of Hagar. Verse 2 of what we just read called Hagar, Sarai's Egyptian maidservant. Now, maidservant was another word for female slave in the context in which this time period that this was written. It's also translated in other versions of the Bible outside of the New International Version to be the word handmaid, which might bring all kinds of connotations if you're familiar with the TV series A Handmaid's Tale. For many of us, though, when we read this story about Abraham and Sarah, and the promise given to them to have a child, we tend to sweep Hagar under the rug, opting for the more historically dominant narrative of the fulfillment of promise to Abraham. And here's what I think. I think it's important that we keep both. Because God does see Abraham. He chooses him and he uses him to be a blessing to all nations and all people. He loves Abraham. And he fulfills his promise to Abraham and makes his descendants more numerous than the stars. Abraham messes up hard in the scripture that we're looking at today. But even in the midst of that, God doesn't discard or disqualify Abraham. Instead, God makes the situation right and even uses Abraham's mistakes for his glory. But because of how familiar we are corporately as the church with that narrative, I don't want to stay there for too long today. Instead, I'd rather spend our time with this scripture from the perspective of Hagar. Because I believe that Hagar's story is the story of a God who sees the vulnerable, chooses the vulnerable, and delivers the vulnerable. Genesis 16 goes on to say, picking up at verse 4, when Hagar knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. So when when Hagar got pregnant, she began to see herself as an equal with Sarah. She began to see herself beyond slave status. And so the text says in verse 4, she looked with contempt at Sarah, the woman who intended to keep her in her place. And by doing that, Hagar broke with legal tradition. 
So when Sarah contends with Abraham, may the Lord judge between you and me, scholars believe that she was actually citing a judicial formula within Hammurabi's code, which imposed a penalty on slaveries who, becoming concubines, tried to gain equal status with the legal wife. According to Hammurabi's code, the wife had the right to send the concubine back to slavery. So when Sarah saw her right as wife and as mistress threatened, she used the law in her favor. And unfortunately, Abraham, instead of siding with the marginalized, chose to obey Sarah and Hammurabi's code. And with Abraham's consent, Sarah oppressed Hagar. Interestingly, the verb used in verse 6 when it says Sarah mistreated Hagar is actually the Hebrew verb jana, which is also used in the Exodus story a few generations later to depict depict how the Egyptians oppressed the Israelites. And you guys notice we're six verses into this chapter, into the story about Hagar, and we have yet to actually hear Hagar's own voice. We hear Sarah's and we hear Abraham's, but Hagar's voice is silenced completely in the first six verses that tell her story. And that sounds about right for the voices of the oppressed in human history. But we're about to hear Hagar's voice in what becomes the first of two extraordinary encounters that Hagar has with God. Verse 7 reads, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And then she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram bore him Ishmael. Y'all, we have to pause right here. Are you hearing what I'm hearing in this text? It seems like just in the last few years in mainstream culture, we've begun to use again this phrase, I see you, which really is a way for us to say, I understand you, I empathize with you. And I feel like in all the times I read this passage in my youth and in my years um, of study, I never really got the richness of this phrase when Hagar says, you are the God who sees me until recently, during this last year, when I had become familiar with mainstream culture using this phrase, I see you, I get you, I understand you. And so when I read it this time with fresh ears, it just moved me to tears to hear, you 
are the God who sees me. Because you see, Hagar's story is one of the first recorded stories of terror with woman as a victim. And we see Hagar reeling from this terror and this oppression, running away at full speed when the God of all of heaven and earth stops time to speak to and comfort Hagar by promising her that he knows her and he knows her by name and he knows her situation and that he is going to honor her and increase her descendants until they are too numerous to count. Do you know that that promise, that that dynastic legacy is only made in the entire count of the Bible to Abraham, Moses, Jacob, Israel, and Hagar? That means that Hagar is the only woman to receive that promise. She's also the only one from outside the camp of Israel to receive it. And she's three times the other, a black foreigner, a woman, and a slave. Come on, somebody get excited with me in this house this morning because her response to this encounter and this promise, goodness gracious, it moves me to actual tears. Verse 13 says, she gave this name to the God who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Arrow to my heart. For each one of us in the midst of our own sorrows, in the oppressions that we face, whether it's individually from our sin or from the systems around us, God stops time and he kneels down and whispers to us, I see you, I believe in you, and I'm with you. So Hagar gives birth to a beautiful baby boy named Ishmael, and he grows up in Abraham's household. And then, miraculously, God fulfills his promise to Sarah and Abraham, and Sarah conceives by giving Abraham a son in his old age to be the heir of his household named Isaac. And that's where scripture picks back up the story of Hagar, so let's follow it there. Genesis 21, verses 8 through 20 Again, you can look that up or follow along with me. Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 20. It says, The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring so early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water, and he gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered into the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch my boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? 
Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Just take this in for a sec. Scholars believe that Ishmael was likely a teenager when this took place. They estimate that he was somewhere between the age of 15 and 16 years old when all of a sudden, Sarah began to view his existence as a threat to that of her own child. And so she got Abraham to ally with her. And just as quickly as the decision had been made to use and abuse Hagar's body, the decision is also made to discard of Hagar and her son. So Hagar wanders off into the desert, which in other Bible translations is recorded as the wilderness. And now if you're into reading the Bible, if you've been reading it for a long time, then you've probably noticed the pattern before that the wilderness or the desert are meeting places where God is always meeting with his people and their suffering and their destitution. Did you know, though, that Hagar is canonically the very first person that God ever speaks to in the wilderness? She's the first one in the entire account of Scripture that he establishes the pattern of speaking to in the wilderness or in the desert of suffering and destitution. And it's a super interesting layer of irony or intentionality that God first came to the rescue of an Egyptian slave, Hagar, outcast by Abraham in the wilderness, when generations later it will be recorded in the Exodus story that it will be Abraham's descendants who will encounter God in the wilderness after being enslaved by the Egyptians. But that's another story for another day. Anyways, Hagar goes off into the wilderness with her son with just the skin of water and a small amount of food that Abraham's given her. And it quickly runs out. So she begins to fear the worst, that her and her son are going to die from dehydration. And in the intensity of her grief, Hagar cannot bear to watch her son die. So she separates herself from him. And scripture says she goes a little bit away. And it's right there, in the intensity of her grief, that she has a second miraculous and divine encounter with God. God does this in two ways. He shows up for her first by reiterating his promise to her that he is going to make a great nation out of her and her son. He gives her hope for the future. Second, he opens her eyes to a well of water and she immediately gets a drink for her son so that her and her son are no longer abandoned to the point of death. They actually live. And the next sentence, verse 20, says that Ishmael became an archer and his mother got a wife for him. So we know that they not only survived, but that they went on to thrive. So I made a disclosure to you at the beginning of service that I am a hopeless dreamer and relentlessly committed to the pursuit of all things being made new, to the pursuit of shalom and wholeness in our world, and that you are too as the body of Christ. 
And my friends, we got some work to do. We got some things that need to be made new in our community. Now, many of you, I would argue most of you, are already involved in initiatives that need, <clears throat> that need the good work of the body of Christ in our community. You're rolling up your sleeves, you're wiping sweat from your brows, and you're spending your days partnering with our Daddy in Heaven to bring wholeness and redemption to our community. So here comes another disclosure. I've come today to invite you to do that in just another local initiative in one more way. You see, I'm one of the leads for an initiative called BRAVE. Now, BRAVE is a catalytic movement for girls ages 11 to 18 years old. The organization is only three years old, but it's already located in 18 cities in the United States and five cities globally. It's a movement to empower girls who are vulnerable and overlooked and drifting in a current of oppression that seeks to enslave them in human trafficking. And we're bringing the movement here to Jamestown because trafficking and exploitation of our girls is happening here in Chautauqua County too at a rapidly increasing rate. Trafficking is a hard and yucky topic because the system of it is so perverse. And part of that perverse nature is that it makes us as the body of Christ want to go silent because of taboo, because of the perverseness, because of its complexity, because of the hardness of the topic. But the church, the global church and the local church, we cannot be willing to shrink away from hard conversations and hard work because if we do, we will remain permanently small and as a consequence, silent. So brave is a strategy to combat that silence. It's a strategy to unite local churches with our government and not-for-profit agencies in our communities to say to girls, we see you. You matter to us. We believe in you. You can do hard, holy, brave things, and we are with you. You can count on the local church. You can count on us. It was created with girls in the foster care and probation and correctional systems in mind because national statistics show that 60 to 80% of survivors of human trafficking are coming out of the foster care system. In New York State, that number's even higher. 94% of our survivors are girls who've had at least one touch with the child welfare system at some point in their youth. That means that at some point, someone stopped and noticed something was wrong and made a phone call to the local child welfare system. So BRAVE is targeted toward girls that we know are already at risk. But here's the truth. All girls are at risk. Ellen Duffield, a research anatomist, analyst recently published a large study done in the U.S. that found that a girl's self-esteem peaks at just nine years old. From that point forward, it declines. That means our nine-year-old girls, in all of their creativity and innovation and joy and bright sparkliness, will begin to lose their confidence and glittery nature as they hit puberty. As a mama of an almost eight-year-old girl, I can't bear to think that her confidence is almost as high right now as it will ever be in her entire lifetime.
So Brave is for all girls, a catalytic movement to empower them in their identity, to exhort them to be brave in their futures, and to give them great belonging in our community and in our churches. And it begins in just three weeks with an empowerment conference that we're going to have on Saturday, October 19th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Willow Bay Theater in downtown Jamestown. The conference will feature music, dance, all kinds of creative arts, a keynote speaker that we're bringing in from New York City, giveaways, a block party and storytelling, activities. We expect to have approximately 200 girls and their caregivers in attendance. We've partnered with the Child Advocacy Program, the Sheriff's Department, GA Services, Probation, the County, Chautauqua Striders, Liberty Partnership Programs, and YWCA, along with so many local churches, so many local businesses, and so many local individuals to make this happen who all want the same thing, to see a breakthrough of hope for our girls in our community. It will be a dynamic day that will be followed by Brave Circles, a follow-up program in schools and not-for-profits and churches to keep growing in connection and empowerment of our girls throughout our county. It's going to be absolutely incredible, and we're so excited for it. There are a bunch of ways that you can get involved with this initiative, and we need you. I'll be at an, a, t a table immediately following service that you might have seen on your way in today. We need prayer. We have prayer cards of how to be praying for girls and their caregivers that you can take with you and keep somewhere that you'll see it repetitively over the next few weeks. We need volunteers. There's a volunteer sign-up sheet. And we need you to take an invitation for any girl in your life, whether it's a friend, a daughter, or a granddaughter. And we need financial sponsorships. We are collecting $25 sponsorships in check, cash, or electronically to sponsor a girl's costs to attend this event so that it can be free for every girl who wants to come. There's a ton more that I wish I could share with you today, but because of time restraints, I'll just invite you to come see me after service if you'd like to learn more. But I want to leave you with this today. Whether it's through Brave or it's with your church and the incredible ministries you have here, or it's with another initiative locally, commit your heart, your hands, and your knees to the pursuit of all things being made new, to the pursuit of wholeness and shalom and to stepping in for the oppressed. Hagar's story which unfortunately is the story of so many girls in our community, of a young woman who was othered in three ways, gender, race, and class, has so much to teach us about oppression. And here's what we know. Just as the angel of the Lord stepped in with Hagar, we are called to step in with the oppressed to offer hope in the future, just like the angel promised her that he would make a great nation out of her, and help in the present. He directed her to a well of water and resourced her. My friend Danielle Strickland says it like this, Jesus always goes out of his way to get in the way of justice. Justice will never be accidental. It's always intentional. And my friends, we have some rolling up of our sleeves to do. Join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, 
We thank you for meeting with us in this place. Father, I pray that as we depart from here, that this week you would continue to speak to us through your word, God, that you would continue to convict us and to mobilize us. That looks different for every one of us. But God, I pray that you would speak to us individually about how you desire to mobilize us to action on behalf of the other, both locally here in our community and globally. And Father, I pray for the individual who is walking through a hard time of suffering and destitution, who is also in a place of wilderness and desert right now. Father, I, I pray that during this week you would stop time, so to speak, and you would whisper into their ears, I see you, I know you, and I am for you. You are the God who sees us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.